0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Shirley, the first question on all of your minds is, how's Dan feeling today? I hope he's okay. Yeah, Dan's all right. I'm okay. Got a little bit of my voice back, so that's good. I think you can probably still hear uh, a touch of the sinus stuff going on but overall it's a dramatic improvement over yesterday where i was pausing the podcast regularly just to take a deep breath i don't know so maybe i'm different than the normal man when i have when things are are congested and it's not like a runny nose it's just blocked i feel like if i just pull my nostrils open that really does the trick so i did like a quarter of yesterday's podcast with just like yanking a nostril open. Oh, maybe you guys are never going to listen again after hearing that tale. But either way, uh, I don't have to do that today. So, yeah. I mean, it was never really a bad cold. Kid cold. You get a kid cold every once in a while. It's weird in this era, the era of the COVID, to get a kid cold because you just immediately assume that it's COVID and you're going to perish. Um... And then it's not. And then everything is and it's just a just cold. Just strange. The whole thing is strange. But I'm alright. Everything's fine. We got a we got a show to do. Did you guys like I hope you guys liked what we came up with for this week, which is again the case for number two. We we did Steph and Luca yesterday. And basically what we're working on, and then we'll give you guys a little podcast introduction here. What we're working on is We've got all these guys, however many you want them to be at this point. There's quite a few. There's we did Steph and Luca yesterday. Uh, you've got Durant, you've got Embiid, you've got I mean maybe even Kyrie is in that discussion. Cats in the discussion. Giannis is going to get drafted high. Harden's going to get drafted high. You've got all these names that have a, a claim to stake on the number two spot. Because it just wasn't that clear this last season. So I thought we could spend the rest of this week kind of going through them, just like we did yesterday. And tell you not necessarily an answer to the question. That's not where we're at yet. We're not that far enough into the process. But just could, even could a particular player be the number two fantasy player this coming season, particularly on a per game basis, but also we'll kind of look at it at both ends per game and totals. Could it happen? Why will it happen? Why won't it happen? And this is how you got to go through and start handicapping things. This is fantasy NBA today, by the way, probably knew that already sports ethos presentation. I am Dan Vespers. Thanks as always for tuning in, everybody continuing to make this the most listened to off-season of the show in history. It's uh, currently July the 19th. We are well on our way to blitzing past last month. And I am well on my way to having my mind blown. I'm I, My mind is blown. The really cool part is that we're most likely going to pass last August, even though... Uh, Last August was the short off-season, remember? Although I guess it's starting at about the same time. So maybe this is where things start to overlap. Although last August, this July, maybe that's why. We're we're on our way to passing last August, which was not only closer to the start of the season, but also had free agency in it. This July is free agency, but it's nowhere near the start of the season. I, anyway, I'm just flabbergasted. So thank you again, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you for sticking with us during the off-season. And I hope that these shows are, I don't know, a nice little respite in your day so today we've knocked out Steph we've knocked out Doncic uh again there was no true answer to this although I think the answer on Luca is no but still you know if he magically fixes his free throw percent and I say magically because I I'm hesitant to believe that it could actually happen but if he goes from 74 and a half percent to you know 82 83 Yeah, he probably does jump from where he was to... It probably wouldn't still be number two, but he could go from kind of a mid-third rounder. Turnovers are always going to be a little bit of a drag on it, but like Harden was an end of the first rounder with four and a half turnovers per game because he was a high-volume positive foul shooter at 88%. We don't even need that from Luka. Give me like 82, 83, and he'll be right up there in that same zone as well. And if you're durable near the turn you got a shot to get into that top group. And just like we talk about with Steph, he's a fade for next year coming off a title and sort of in this nothing to prove department. But at the same time, if nothing to prove Steph suddenly hits 49% of his shots again instead of 43 and a half, he jumps from where he was, number 6, back up into that top 3 conversation. Today, let's go with a couple of guys that actually have a legitimate claim, I think more so than at least Luka and even more so than Steph at this point on that number two spot. And those names are maybe the two guys that are going to be drafted in that zone the most once we know where Kevin Durant ends up. Durant and Joel Embiid. Now, I don't know. It's possible that ADPs are going to once again puff the numbers on Giannis and Luka because there are eight category leagues where those guys are going to get a bump, just like Harden, and there are points leagues where those guys are going to get another bump because that big free throw drag gets wiped off the board. And I know what you're thinking, Dan. Giannis is a huge positive in field goal percent, so wiping that out in a points league actually hurts him. You are correct, but the free throw is a larger negative impact than the field goal is positive. So wiping them both out helps Giannis and very much helps Luca because he's a negative in both, more so in one than the other, mind you, but negative in both. Now the second half of last year, Luca was basically net neutral in field goal percent, regardless over the entire season, it was a net negative. Turnover is a big net negative as well. So guys like that always get jumped up a few slots, and it makes sense. You know, Giannis does actually make sense as a top three guy in a points league. It's not crazy at all. So when you see that high ADP, don't go, ah, this is dumb. Just say, thanks. Thank you to points leagues for existing, because these guys are going to get a little bit of a of a jump. And so for my nine category league, it moves guys in the way. Love when dudes are in the way, because it takes the guys that we're looking at and pushes them down the board. Terrific. Easier to get them. The, these... Two, I believe, Kevin Durant and Joel Embiid probably have this coming season the best claim on the two and three spots in fantasy. Now, on the Kevin Durant side, it's going to require that he plays some, you know, high, mid to high 60s in games. That's asking a lot. And for Embiid, it just requires duplicating what he already did. So let's start with Joel Embiid because I think he's the easier one to break down here. This last season, the Sixers center had a brilliant campaign. He was number three on a per game basis on averages of 30 and a half points, almost 12 rebounds a game, four assists, one and a half, three pointers, a steal, one and a half blocks, positive field goal percent at 50% on 20 shots a game, positive free throw contributor. Not by a ton, 81.5%, but a dozen foul shots per ball game. So that then creates a larger positive impact. I know, 81.5% is not all that far above average, but if you lean into that with a ton per game, it actually does end up making a pretty big deal. It was had about this, and had about the same value as Freddie Van Vliet, who shot 87 and change percent. I mean, a much lower volume, but that's what volume can do, the weighted average. And about three turnovers per game, which is not all that bad from your sort of guy handling the ball all-game first-rounder. From a individual game standpoint, there aren't a lot of reasons to feel like Embiid should take either a big step forward or a big step back. With Harden in town, he still averaged about 30-some-odd points per game. In fact, the last 25 games of the season, Embiid was at about 32, so it actually went up. 13 rebounds, 4 assists, 50% from the field, 81 and a half at the foul line. He was number 4 instead of number 3, but that's only because Kyrie Irving started playing every other day, had all the energy in the universe, and just put up absurd numbers. Kyrie in those 17 games, last two months of the season basically, 30 points, 4 three-pointers, 4 uh, rebounds, 6 assists, 1.6 steals, half a block, Five and a half free throws at 91. I mean, Kyrie was crazy during that stretch. But again, you put that into a long season, draw him out, and actually expect him to play every ball game. That's probably not going to hold. Still, I do really like Kyrie a lot on a per game basis, and we'll get to that at some point. This one's about Joel Embiid. I would argue he got even better when Harden was around because he wasn't the only player that teams had to guard. And I know that Harden is slowed a bit at this point in his career, but. He's still a guy that teams need to consider. They can't leave him unguarded the way that they can. Some of the guys on the Sixers, looking at you, Matisse. Down the stretch, Embiid averaged 1.3 steals and 1.5 blocks, which again was pretty much right on the mark. Couple extra steals per game, 13 rebounds. I don't know that that will hold for a season or even necessarily needs to hold for a season. But all you really need to look at is, is this a replicatable set of numbers? And the answer is yes. Because the Sixers are not about to have a large scale remodel out there. Harden was already in town down the stretch. I know he missed some time after the trade, but he did play a little. What do you, I mean, he played most of the games last month and a half of the season or so. He only took 14 shots a game during that time. Still got his big free throw number. But he was largely orchestrating. And things generally still went through Embiid. So, yeah, I could see. I don't see any obvious reason why Embiid shouldn't average 30 and 11 again. And four assists and a three-pointer and change and around a steal and over a block, and the percentages should be solid. There's just sort of nothing that screams large change in what his gig is in the offense. The coaching staff is the same. The supporting cast is mostly the same. The guys they are moving around out there, like P.J. Tucker, that's not a, a guy who changes what a player does. Maybe he gets a couple rebounds, but it's not going to pull away from Joel. So the question with Embiid becomes the same question you have every year. Can he play 68 ball games? Which he did, finally, against, frankly, all odds this last year. Because prior to that, he had played 31 games. Remember, he sat out two full seasons after getting drafted. Then 31 out of 82, 63 out of 82, 64 out of 82, 51 out of 72, 51 out of 72. So this is a guy that had missed all 82, all 82, 51, 19, 18 seemed like the big winner year. 21 two years in a row and then 14 and that was a huge success this most recent season while at the same time putting up the best numbers pretty much of his career he did have that 13 and change rebound season in in 2018 2019 and his block number was higher but the blocks have been slowly trending down and I think they'll probably keep going that way The steals have actually trended up a little bit. I don't know if they'll stick, but either way, he's been around one. So near there is reasonable. And his three-pointers have trended up a little bit as well. Free throw number was 86 last year before 81 this season. I think we can safely say he's above 80 now. So call that a positive anyway. Would I, and I mean, look, there's nothing I can say to you to, because I'm, terrified of Joel Embiid I don't want to so far I've basically made this sound like a huge Joel Embiid hype reel but it's not because when you talk about the fact that he did finally play in 80 in 68 of the 82 ball games you have to acknowledge the fact that this this last season was the outlier at the same time The other player we're about to talk about on this show, Kevin Durant, is in my estimation really the only other player in the NBA who has a shot at that number two per game marker besides Joel Embiid. Because if you look at this last season, the other players that were even in the vicinity, LeBron, who averaged a crazy offense. I mean, he had a brilliant offensive year, didn't play much defense, nobody on the Lakers did, but you know, whatever. And then his free throw number got better. LeBron got up to 75.5% of the foul line. So that became less of a negative. And even with all the stuff that LeBron did, he is getting a year older. The Lakers are going to continue to try to get him help somehow, which is probably moving Russ, based on all the stuff we're seeing and you know, it seems like things are pretty cold. I know there was a Chris Haynes report that the three stars got on a phone call and, you know, recommitted to each other and rah, rah. This Look, the same way we saw the Nets saying, yeah, we'll just hold on to everybody and see what happens. This is the Lakers saying, we'll hold on to everybody and see what happens. And everybody's just posturing at this point. And nobody really knows if a trade's going to happen or when, but, you know, it's all, it's all hot air. The only players in the NBA that were anywhere near Kevin Durant and Joel Embiid on a per-game value standpoint, besides Nikola Jokic, obviously, who was ahead of them, LeBron, Kyrie Irving, and that's kind of it. There was a pretty good drop to get to Steph and Kat and DeJounte and Giannis and AD and the next grouping of per-game guys. But, of course, the issue is that those names I just dropped on you Kevin Durant, LeBron, and Kyrie Irving, I don't know that I could come up with a riskier trio of names to put alongside an already risky play in Joel Embiid. I mean, this is... You are really rolling the dice at this spot. We already told you, Joel Embiid had not missed fewer than 18 games in a season prior to this last year, and he'd been around. Embiid was drafted in 2014! It's been a while. And then LeBron is getting older. He's just a shade younger than me, which, yikes, I know how I feel, up when I feel when I wake up in the morning. And KD had the giant injuries. He's going to be at risk of this stuff. Maybe less so, because at least he's not a super heavy dude. And then Kyrie Irving. I mean, you want to talk about Space Cadet. Sure, he could show up for all 82 games. There's also almost an equal chance that he just skips 41 of them for, I don't know, ice cream? Like, it could be anything. It could be anything. It could be something that's culturally valuable or not. We don't know. I believe the term is wild card for players like that. He's a wild card. Movies always make jokes about who's the wild card. The A-team had one, so, you know, I guess things could still work out. But look, if you're going to say, and I've been there, I was there every season up to this point, and I said, I cannot bring myself to touch Joel Embiid in the first round, because there were just safer plays. Cat was always a safer play. I know that they kind of went into tank mode for a couple of years, but... Expect, expectation of playing ball games, he was a safer play. This season, I thought Steph was a safer play because I figured his team was going to be making a run at it. Harden seemed like a safer play when Kyrie wasn't going to get time in Brooklyn, and then you know James decided he wanted to work his way out of another organization, so that torpedoed it a little bit. But then all of a sudden now, you're left, and even Dame seemed like safer plays because he generally played through stuff. But then all of a sudden... The world, our fantasy world, got a little bit upended this year by the fact that almost nobody in the first round is a safe will-they-won't-they, they, you know, it's a binary thing. Are they going to play in ballgames? There aren't any left. Jokic and Cat were basically the only guys with an ADP inside the top 10 this last year that cleared 70 ball games. That's it. Tatum... I guess although his ADP was kind of hovering a, a a touch farther back so and you know per game wise he was never he doesn't have a claim at that number 2 spot Tatum was always going to be a okay can he get inside the top 10 per game to supplement the fact that he's probably going to be a bit more durable than some of these dudes but i mean this was crazy so then the fact that Joel Embiid it remains in my estimation and a non-durable fantasy player. You can't just say, oh, now he's durable because he played in, you know, N-14. That's still not, like, low to mid-70s. You get into low to mid-70s, I'll start calling you someone who's durable and reliable. But they just don't exist at this juncture of a draft. I mean, we're going to get Tyrese Halliburton going in the first round next year, probably. Maybe late first round. And I don't know where DeJounte Murray goes, but playing alongside Trey, I certainly wouldn't elevate him to that level anymore. And Trey's going to go pretty early because he had a really good season, and he should. But per game-wise, again, he's another guy who could not possibly have done more than he did this last year. So these guys that are going to go in that group, it's going to be, well, we already talked about Giannis and, and Doncic and Steph and Harden and Towns and Tatum and oh, you know what? I forgot to mention Lamelo Ball. He's got a shot to be relatively durable. There's like two guys in that group that could be durable, which seems nuts. And then with Cat, you got to knock him way down the board because he's playing power forward this coming season. So are Lamelo Ball and Tyrese Halliburton now the greatest threats? So when you look at a guy like Joel Embiid, and frankly, Kevin Durant, who we're going to talk about here in just a second, you can lump him into this same bucket, are they so good on a per-game basis that even in the first round, we can overlook the fact that they're not super durable, reliable, on a totals, meaning will-they-play basis? Right now, the answer is probably just teetering. The needle is teetering on the side of yes. Can Tyrese Palburton be a top three per game guy? I doubt it. I doubt it. But, you know, anything's possible. You know, last two months, last year, he's number 19. Feed him a bunch more usage. Maybe he gets there. It's a jump, though. I mean, dude was at 16 points, 10 assists, great steals numbers, great percentages, but he's going to need the ball in his hands a whole bunch more. Like, I'm going to need more than a dozen shots. Hal going to need to get up to, like, 15, 16 shots. Like, there's going to be need to be a lot more usage if he wants to get into that group. He could. And what about Lamelo? I mean, we'll talk about these guys at greater length on a future show, but is there anyone that can actually challenge... Embiid and KD, for that two area per game? And if so, can they get close enough to give you a reason to take a guy who maybe is a little bit more healthy? On the Kevin Durant side, we don't know where he's going to be playing on opening day. Wherever he ends up, he is a fantasy juggernaut and... By all accounts, and look, any team that has him is going to be going somewhat gentle with him, but the issue this year wasn't that. It was the one big injury that knocked him out for six weeks. Other than that, he actually didn't miss all that much time this season. He's actually shown himself to be pretty willing to play through stuff, and I think he even like told the team, ride me. He averaged 30 points, 7.5 boards, 6.5 assists, a steal, a block, 52% from the field, strong volume, at the foul line, strong volume, turnovers were not crazy, he had over two three-pointers a game, he is a bit of a fantasy unicorn, really, but I mean, we've, we've gotten kind of so used to it over the years that it just doesn't even wow us anymore. He is eight out of nine categories, you know, he's net neutral in steals, and he's a positive everywhere else, and then the question really is just how positive. Generally, a decent amount. Positive. Big free throws. Assists actually is one of his better things this year. It's six and a half. Scoring is great. He's a wonderful player to have if he's on the floor. And, of course, missing 27. This is kind of amazing, actually. Even though he missed 27 ball games this year, he was still a first-rounder by totals. There's no one else that can make a claim like that. Anybody else that played in the 50s in games played? The next highest-ranked player who had a total games played number in the 50s was LeBron at 16, so he was relatively close. And the next highest, Jimmy Butler at 32. That's by totals. It's really hard to be in the first round, which KD did, playing in 50-some-odd games, And he didn't play 59. It was 55. 59, he probably would have been number 9. That's crazy. So the thing about KD and you know use that number fifty nine as a barometer. If you're drafting him at number two, you're looking at probably a, a not a worst case because catastrophic injury is the worst case for any of these guys. But more of a worst case is like kind of what you saw this last year, missing twenty seven a third of the year. That's the bad case. Well, let's say he doesn't have an injury that knocks him out for a month and a half. Maybe he only has little nagging things that knock him out for two, three games here and there. If that adds up to, say, 15 games missed, he does actually end up the number two player in fantasy this last year. He would have stayed ahead if Joel Embiid, or of Joel Embiid, I should say, if he got to 66 or 67 ballgames. He didn't have to match him. He was ahead of Joel on a per-game basis despite having a relatively high turnover count this season for KD. And he's another guy where you look at the numbers and they're not going to change all that dramatically. If he goes to a place like Miami and somehow, I don't know how they the Nets could swing this thing, but if Adebayo goes back, I mean, he'll take most of the shots on that team. Jimmy Butler doesn't need a ton of shots. That's kind of not really his thing. Butler only took 14 and a half shots a game this last year. Lots of free throws, but he did more orchestrating. Those guys could easily coexist in a way that Durant coexisted with Harden and then Kyrie for different stretches. And in Golden State, he was the number one player a year when he was in Golden State. He doesn't need 25 shots a game to be a top fantasy player. He doesn't even need the 20 he took. He could do it in 19. Give me like 0.2 extra blocks per game if that's what it takes. And yeah, you knock a little usage off. It's not a good thing for him. But he's so incredible at so many categories that you can a little bit overlook it. Now we'll redo all of this stuff with if, where, whatever. We find out where Durant ends up. But as of right now, those two guys we talked about today easily have the claim to be the number two per game fantasy play. The question left unanswered that we can't simply answer on July the 19th and probably can't until next July 19th is, will they have, depending on what tense you want to use, will they play in 65 games or more? Because if KD gets to 65 games and you know, Mead gets to 65 games, there aren't many dudes that could pass them for that top three. There aren't many. Cat was up there. But if KD got to 65 games, he'd have passed him, or he'd have been right neck and neck with him probably. Trey was right there, but KD would have passed him in 65 games. Halliburton was number seven, but he played in 77 ball games this last year, which I don't know if that's an achievable number again. Lamelo was number eight; he played in 75 ball games this last year. The other guys in that group there were mostly guys who played a crap ton of basketball games. If KD gets 10 more games under his belt, he's ahead of all of those guys. 10 more games. He's probably the number five play this last year. That's all it would have taken. 12 games, he's the number two play, most likely. Three at worst. I I would guess number two, though. So that's what it comes down to. Is anybody else close enough to make you say that they could pass these guys in an average fantasy season? And the answer right now is probably not. Probably not. We will have better answers to that question when we get to the shows where we break down guys like Trey Young, Tyrese Halliburton, LaMelo Ball, even Giannis, throw him in there for good measure, or LeBron. I don't know. The case for number two, Embiid, Durant, pretty good one. Pretty good case to be made. Have a terrific Tuesday, everybody. Um, Hey, hit me up if you are interested in coming aboard here at Sports Ethos. We're recruiting. I probably should have done that in the middle of the show. I'll just do it in the middle of the show tomorrow because right now you've all tuned me out anyway. Have a uh, wonderful Tuesday, everybody. I'm Dan Vaspers for Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Thank you again for listening all off-season long. You guys are amazing. Talk to you tomorrow morning. So long, buddy.